This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. Welcome. Let's get right to the consumer news of the week. We are a day and a half from the end of 2023. And according to the American Heart Association, this week, the last week of the year is when the risk of cardiac emergencies really spikes. The AHA attributes the increase to everything from generally un- unhealthy eating, I'm sure you know that, that comes with the holidays, to travel, stress, and maybe skipping medications. One cardiologist says cold weather may even be a factor. He recommends going easy on the food and drink and getting plenty of rest and exercise. And as of New Year's Day, Earth will have more than 8 billion people on it. That's according to new figures from the U.S. Census Bureau that shows that the world population grew by 75 million people over the past year. That's a growth rate of just under 1%. The Census Bureau figures also project 4.3 births and two deaths every single second around the world at the start of 2024. So when 2024 happens in January, every second, more than four people will be born and two people will die. Amazon's Prime Video announced this week that ads are coming to its streaming service here in Canada. As of February 5th, the platform featuring advertising will now be the default when you sign up for Amazon Prime. That's $9.99 a month. And along with the TV streaming, you get free shipping and other perks with Amazon. But what that means now is if you want to watch Prime Video without commercials, without any commercial interruptions or limited ads, as they call it, you'll have to pay an extra $2.99 a month. A Montreal man who spent almost a week in hospital after eating cantaloupe wants a court to give him permission to launch a class action lawsuit. Oliver Archambault alleges he got sick with salmonella after eating melons grown in Mexico and distributed in Canada by Arizona-based True Fresh. By last week, the Public Health Agency of Canada has reported that 164 lab-confirmed cases and seven deaths from cantaloupe-linked salmonella in eight provinces. Boeing is contacting airlines that own newer models of its big 737 MAX jet after a mechanic with an unnamed foreign airline found that a bolt in the vertical tail assembly of one of the, one of the planes was missing. Those jets have about a half a million parts in each one. Boeing is urging airlines to do visual inspections of their planes to make sure that the bolt that helps to control the rudder is actually in place. The New York Times has filed a federal lawsuit against OpenAI and Microsoft to try to stop them from using its stories to train chatbots. The Times says copyright infringements at the paper alone could be worth billions. It is one of a growing list of individuals and publishers trying to stop OpenAI from using copyrighted material without their permission. The lawsuit says generative AI tools developed by OpenAI and Microsoft are trying to free ride on the Times' massive investments in its journalism. And the Canadian film Blackberry 
is one of 13 movies to make former President Barack Obama's list of the best films of 2023. Directed by Matt Johnson, the movie is the story of the company that created the BlackBerry phone, showing its meteoric rise and fall. Barack Obama was famously a longtime lover of the BlackBerry and only upgraded to an iPhone in 2016. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And when we come back, some great insight into our real estate market with Dan Jones. He's with Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. And we'll talk to him next. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and people love to talk about real estate. Is it overvalued? Is it undervalued? Well, my next guest has dedicated his life to that question, looking at and appraising real Real estate. He's Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, Campbell-Pound.com. They are a company that was incorporated way back in 1939. Campbell and Pound's appraisal team provides appraisal advice throughout Metro Vancouver, all around the Lower Mainland and the Fraser Valley areas. They are nationally accredited and locally experienced. Dan Jones is with us now. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great, Martin. How are you today? Very, very well. Looking forward to the new year. And uh, I guess uh, looking ahead, uh, I want to talk about interest rates and how it's valuing real estate. But because we're so close to New Year's, this is uh, appraisal time uh, or assessment, property assessment time. I guess a lot of people have already even got their assessment in the mail. But um, I remember last year was a little bit different. It seemed like the appraiser... uh, appraisals were a little high. What What's sort of the thinking now as people get their appraisals, as they open that envelope and take a look at what their house is worth? Right. Well, well, the new assessments that are coming out um, that are actually completed by the assessors now for 2024 are based on July 1st, 2023, which is now basically about six months ago. So most people are familiar with their assessment that was provided from July of 2022. And that was a a market that was much more buoyant and the interest rates um, had made their way up a little bit, but they hadn't finished their climb, shall we say. So um, we've been finding if we're doing any appraisals in the lower mainland, whether it's Burnaby, whether it's Surrey Mission or Vancouver, some areas, um, the, that assessment is actually coming in uh, higher than what the market value of the property is. Not in all cases, and every every single sort of neighborhood has its own nuance in terms of um, of how the assessment was set by the assessor, of course. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and I get the the assessment is basically, uh, for the most part, uh, sort of the guideline for what the amount of tax you will pay, but what do people need to know about their property assessments that they might not be thinking about? Well, um, the, the first thing that I mentioned, that it's it's an actual retrospective date of appraisal. Date of appraisal in, in our business is very important because if we're in a market that is moving upwards, moving downwards, um, it's important to know what the date of appraisal is, and there can be some some adjustments to that. Um, if we were to value a property in the summertime, July 1st, I'm suggesting that most cyclical um, years would show 
that the market's a lot softer in the late part of December, around Christmas time and Boxing Day and where we're at today, than it might be on July 1st when uh, families are needing to move their residence. So they've got families that've got to move, kids go to new schools, registration, all those types of things. So usually, find the market is is in a stronger position in in, in that in that sort of time period, and that is. That, that's a legislative uh, date of, uh, of assessment that the uh, July 1st of the prior year, which the assessors are bound by, by legislation. So it's not something going to change. If the homeowner looks at that value today and says, you know, I don't think I could sell my property for that amount of money, then they should launch what's called an assessment appeal. And there's all kinds of directions on your assessment notice on the back and on the front to uh, discuss how you do that, how you set your appointment up. And um, it would start with a phone call to your local assessment office, which will be listed on the assessment notice. And you want to have a discussion with the appraiser that works that area who who knows your neighborhood. And uh, they may be able to, to look at it and see if the file is all in order before they you carry on with it. So they can save you a lot of time and stress if you just actually talk to them first. And that would be my recommendation. And then you have until officially the end of January, the 31st of January, to launch that appeal. Um, and the process and the way you do that is all listed on the, on the assessment notice that you right. should be receiving. If not in your hand today, you should have it within the next 10 days. Right. We're talking to Dan Jones, the president of Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. You can find him online at campbell-pound.com. And uh, I guess the the obvious, uh, you know, big issue when it comes to the value of real estate is the hike in interest rates. And as someone who is valuing real estate all the time, um, I mean, obviously, it's it's probably not uh, putting in. It's putting downward pressure on prices. But um, what are some of the factors you're looking at as we sort of move into this higher interest rate climate? Yeah, the environment is a lot different now in terms of um, what your broker can do, what your um, local banker can do with you. Um, the you know, lines of credit have been established based on. Um, appraisals that are that that are done in a in a previous time. When we're looking at a high interest rate now, a lot of us, um, if we've got a little bit of gray hair, we will remember the crazy interest rates of 1981. Back then, when it creeped up to the 20% level and then made its way back down, but it was completely normal back then to get a, a mortgage of nine or 12% even. But you have to remember that when those interest rates were were around, you could buy a property for $400,000 or $365,000 or something. It's it's not the same as buying a property that's $1.1 million, which is where we're at today. I mean, the benchmark price for the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board for all properties in all regions is close to $1.2 million. It's $1.185 million. And, uh, you know, that's gone up about 5% over last year, just based on supply and demand in the region, you know. Um, yeah. and, and we've got all the cities and all the municipalities, provincial and federal governments, working pretty hard, I'd say, to, to try and um, get rid of red tape and get some more product uh, and supply onto the market so that uh, 
the word affordable comes to mind. Uh, you know, 1.185 million is not an affordable price for most people. Yeah. Uh, whether whether the interest rates four percent or whether it's seven percent right now. Uh, I'm not a mortgage broker, but I believe it's around. There's a stress test involved, so you have to you have to qualify at a higher rate than actually what your broker or your lender can get you. Um, I think it's a couple couple of percent higher, and that that's really causing some uh, some some issues with families and and purchasers throughout uh, well, throughout Canada, not just in BC here. Yeah, and and you mentioned the idea of inventory, the fact that there's just not enough. Uh, property out there to buy. Do you see that changing now as as maybe there's some pressure on prices, more people are selling? Is that a situation that might be uh, better in 2024? Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to say yes, because of, of the changes in density. And we're, we're hearing and seeing um, politicians, whether it's a provincial uh, cabinet, uh, David Eby, uh, local local uh, municipalities and city mayors are talking about um, changing their official community plans to, to look at um, density that can increase to between four and eight units on, on a property that is single-family dwelling. I mean, that it, in itself is going to create a lot more um, production of, of multifamily properties. It's going to put more product onto the market, and more product usually means a softening of pricing and more affordability, you hope, down the road. Now, unfortunately, you know, these things can't change overnight, and they've been working hard probably more than the last year. But it, I, I see the changes starting to really um, – it's the first time I've seen um, the supply increase or the, the, the listings. The listing count in Vancouver actually increased in November by around 10% over November of – last year in 2022 that's the first time in a long time we've seen uh, an actual increase in listing so we we start to look at the ratios when a buyer goes to to buy a property what kind of uh choice does he or she have and you know when we were looking at a choice of um you know there's two listings for every property we were getting multiple offers when there was four listings available for each property you were still getting multiple offers now we're starting to see, in some cases, apartment properties, there's like six listings available for every sale that takes place. That's giving you a lot more um, opportunity. And uh, in, in terms of the way the real estate boards express it, they, they, they will say there's a single-family dwelling has a ratio of 12.7%. Well, if you take 100% and you divide it by 12.7, you're now looking at about eight listings for every sale that takes place. So that gives a buyer uh, more options, more properties to look at, and it goes from being a seller's market to more of a buyer's market. And I think that's, right. I think that's what we're really saying here is that more opportunity, more product, um, there's a lower demand. So that's going to create a little bit of a softening in the market, and it's going to be more of a buyer's market because of that. So slowly coming back down to earth. Uh, we're talking to Dan Jones. And uh, before we take a break, let me just ask you this question. What type of people should be calling Campbell and Pound or going to Campbell-Pound.com? Who are the people that uh, need uh, property assessments? 
Well, we call them property appraisals. I think the word assessment is, is um, yes. something that's a legislative number related to government taxes and property assessment. But you are correct, um, sir. We, yeah. So when we do appraisals, we, we we have a there's a vast array of reasons for appraisals. One of them is. Obviously, the common one thought about is when somebody gets a mortgage, the lender, the bank, credit union, or the broker will require an appraisal to back up um, and support the amount of the loan that is going to be given to the purchaser. That's the most common reason. Then we have uh, in in the financing game, there's refinances. People need uh, money for other reasons. Maybe they're putting an addition on the house. Um, there's, you know, there might be a situation where we're adding lines of credit to help them um, finance other things in their life. Those are going to require appraisals. And then there's the non-financing reasons. We we do a lot of business with um, uh, for Supreme Court of Canada for uh, the law profession. And in today's environment, we find that uh, the Supreme Court rules has the appraiser as an independent, unbiased uh, party, and we are called an advocate for the court, not an advocate for the uh, defendant and not an advocate for the plaintiff. It's, it's, uh, we're actually acting for the court to provide a service so they can find out what the assets are worth if there's a dispute between parties, whether it's marital, whether it's a portfolio of uh, corporations trying to sort things out. You might have multiple owners on a property where one one of the shareholders would like to sell to one or more of the others, and quite often we're called in on those types of scenarios to try and um, figure out what the assets are worth, or which is usually real estate, the land and the building. Right. Yeah. Right. And and multiple ownership. That's something I want to talk about when we come back. We're talking to Dan Jones. Um, he's the president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. You can find them at campbell-pound.com. And uh, maybe you own a piece of property with some other people. And maybe there are some questions about that. So for anybody who uh, is a multiple owner of a property, we're going to hear uh, some great advice from Dan Jones from Campbell and Pound when Vancouver Consumer Con- continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. This is uh, Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and we are talking to our friend Dan Jones, the president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Uh, you can find them online, campbell-pound.com. Uh, Campbell and Pound provides appraisal advice throughout Metro Vancouver, the Lower Mainland, and the Fraser Valley areas, nationally accredited and locally experienced. And uh, Dan is with us. And uh, we were talking before the break about multiple ownership. And I guess when uh, somebody owns, I once heard that somebody said uh, you should only buy real estate with somebody uh, who you sleep with, meaning your, <laughs> your husband or wife or whatever. But uh, a lot of people own property with other people, and I guess it gets kind of complicated at times, and, and that's where Campbell and Pound can kind of help, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's, it's an important uh it's an important feature to have people on the same page when you have partnerships, whether it's 
real estate or, or any other type of asset. Uh, I mean, when you know when you're selling with multiple owners, a professional appraiser can can really help everybody be on the same page. It, um, you know, maybe the property's got three owners. One might not really want to sell, while the other the other two might. Um, this causes situations, you know, where a party's expecting a different sale price out of the property than than the other one. Um, so just like choosing a real real estate agent that is neutral or independent, I mean, a licensed, uh, uh, we don't have licensed appraisers in, in Canada, but we have qualified appraisers that are uh, certified by the Appraisal Institute of Canada or the uh, Canadian Association of Real Estate Appraisers. So, I mean, both those organizations certify and accreditate uh, appraisers with uh, an accreditation that uh, gives them gives them a long background in in education and um, and qualifies them to to do that i mean if you're choosing that independent real estate agent and and you're located in the greater vancouver area you know you should be choosing an appraiser that's independent and and also uh, neutral and i think it's it just goes without saying that there's going to be you may not agree with the 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 appraised value but it's going to be something that probably lies somewhere between a listing price and an assessment. And the more information that uh, one can garner, uh, the better decisions they will make, you know, in their investments. Right. So if you are somebody who uh, owns a piece of property, I guess a, a real common thing is recreational property with other parties mm-hmm. and you want to sell that um, you want to sell that piece of property. Uh, what piece of advice do you have for that individual who's part of a a multi-partnership agreement? Um, well, I, I'm always a big fan of being transparent and, and um, you know, rather than I'm going to get a, my own appraisal and I'm going to sl- slip it in front of everybody's you know, under their nose uh, w- without giving them notice. I think it's really important if, if all parties can agree to, to uh, an independent, neutral valuator or appraiser, as we call, call them, um, it, it just helps in the process. Just, just as I would recommend talking to a realtor that, that works in those, those neighborhoods, the more information uh, that you can get, the more power you'll have to make a uh, qualified and a, and a reasonably um, good fiscal decision on what you should do with the property and how much it should sell for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking to uh, Dan Jones. He is the president of uh, Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, campbell-pound.com. And we talked a little bit about uh, who who uh, is in need of the services of a real estate appraiser and why is it important that people... Um, who who say own a house in this market, especially because the houses are worth so much. Uh, why is it so important that uh, that an appraiser uh, can helps you with finding out what your home is worth? Well, I think I think what appraisers really are is they're they're uh, uh, economists or they're land economists that um, just as a stockbroker watches the stock market go up and down and all the movements that it makes and all the particulars that go into it. If, if there's too many shares of a certain stock, um, that floods the market and, and reduces the price and all, all the rest of it. 
it's really the same thing that real estate appraisers are doing. They're they're watching the the local real estate market based on the classification, whether it's commercial, industrial, or residential. And then they're looking and breaking it down further into analytics of you know what are uh, what is the market like in Mission versus what's it like in Tawasson or how about Squamish? What's and what are the demographics there? We have a place like Squamish that um, has a very young demographic based on um, um, most of the sales that take place there. We start to look at these benchmark pricings that I talked to you about earlier, and I mean some of the benchmark pricings when you break it out on the analytics from city to city start showing certain areas have higher higher increases than what I mentioned earlier. I think I told you it was gone up 5% over last year. Well, you know, places like East Vancouver have actually gone up 7%. Um, we've got places like West Vancouver that have gone up 6.5%. Uh, Squamish is another area that was very strong and they, they came out around 6.2%. So, um, there's also areas that, that are lower. They only came out around 3 or 4%. And depending on the demographics in the area and what the um, what type of neighborhood it might be, you will find some areas that stayed very, very constant or, or stagnant. And that might be because there's uh, it has a different employment base and a different demographic. But appraisers are constantly looking and they want to know they want to know uh, who's buying and and why are they buying and in what is the employment base in that neighborhood, just like a, an economist would. Um, appraisers don't just look at the value. I mean, they look at the condition of the property when they go through. They report that information to the client. They'll say, uh, for example, that you know, although there's lots of patio area for the subject property, the patio looks to be in fairly poor shape because maybe there's, um, maybe it's aged over 30 years old and it may be, uh, although there's patio there and there's concrete, it doesn't add any particular value to the overall value of the property. Um, mm-hmm. the, the same thing with some of the uh, ancillary structures that a person might have on their property. Maybe it's a garden shed or you know, it might be a sun deck of some sort. Um, sometimes those items add a lot of value. Sometimes they add a little bit of value, and sometimes they don't add any value. But uh, those are things the appraiser can help you with when they're there. They, uh, they, you know, they look at more uh, more things on an individual basis, and they break they break a lot of the components down. So they'll, especially for a bank, like a bank wants to, they want to match up the loan that they're giving to you to the value of the property. So they're very interested if they're if you're going to be paying a loan off for 30 years or 25 years from their mortgage or their, their bank, they don't really want to see the effective age from the appraiser showing as only 20 years because that means that the house is going to be ready for the bulldozer before the loan is paid off. So they like to match those things up and those are the sort of other um, opportunities that an appraiser can look at. They look at the quality of the property, they look at the condition, and they report all that back to the client, you know, in terms yeah. of uh, what what the property needs. It, maybe it needs a new fence, maybe it needs new stairs because because it's aged. But those are the things that will come out in the appraisal. 
Yeah. And so what are some other things that the average lay person, when they're looking at a, say a house somewhere that they don't notice? I mean, besides the structure and obviously location is important, but I mean, what are some of the things that people kind of miss when they're looking at a, at a house and the value of that house? Well, I think the first thing I want to want to clarify is that, you know, appraisers aren't, aren't uh, building inspectors per se. Building inspectors do a structural integrity report that is very, uh, very complex and it's very complete and it takes, you know, it can take between four and eight hours uh, on site on a property and it, it's looking at all the actual building components and how they are, what kind of condition they're in and whether they need repairs or cost to cure, all those things. An appraisal per se is going to notice the obvious things, and I, I always sort of put it on this way: like if you were uh, walking into an open house with uh, your partner and you were deciding whether or not this house suited your needs, what are the things that um, turned you on, and what are the things that turned you off? You know, you you might find that you went into a home and uh, it was uh, the inside was completely renovated and remodeled and it felt like a brand new home and those you know it, it might have emanated starting with the kitchen had new uh new revamped cupboards and countertops and all those types of things and uh, those are the types of things that can add value to uh, a piece of real estate and just like we have things that can can detract if the house is located directly behind oh i don't know a gas station or uh, maybe a noisy nightclub or something like that, you might find right. that the appraiser uh, finds that to be a negative. Uh, I know a lot of homes that uh, when lenders see it, um, if the property's backing onto a set of railway tracks and the, and the tracks are active with an active train, um, that can be a discount uh, to the value of the overall property. Um, and the, and those values and those discounts are determined on what purchasers actually pay for a similar property that is not encumbered by that type of negative influence. And the appraisers try to do what's called a paired sales analysis, and they they compare the two and they come up with whether that's a ten percent adjustment or a twenty five percent adjustment. That'll be determined by what the market is in that particular neighborhood or city. Right. Well, in the last minute, in the last minute or so, if anybody feels they may need the services of a real estate appraiser and they go to Campbell-Pound.com, what's the process like for people to get a hold of you? Well, they can uh, they can simply pick up the phone and call us at two seven zero. 8885. That's 604-270-8885. But the best way is to go to our our website at uh, uh, www.campbell-pound.com. That's www.campbell-pound.com. And we're on on, uh, social media, um, all those types of things. But uh, we do a lot of business just, you know, I'm from emailing. You can also email you email me direct if you like at djones at campbell-pound.com. That's djones at campbell-pound.com. Dan Jones is the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. And uh, thanks for talking to us, Dan. And have a have a great new year. Happy New Year to you, Martin, and your staff.
All right. This is Vancouver Consumer, and it's New Year's Eve tomorrow, and BC Transit has some good news if you're riding a bus. Also, I've got why it's important to kiss your significant other when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve. I'll explain that when we come back. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. Tomorrow night is the biggest night of the year for Times Square as all the people will gather in New York to watch the big ball drop at midnight to mark the new year. But this past Thursday, crowds gathered at Times Square in New York for a smaller ceremony known as Good Riddance Day. That's when people write down what they intend to leave behind from the past year, and then they burn the pieces of paper that it's written on. It's become an annual event since it started in 2007. And by the way, if you're out and about celebrating here in the Lower Mainland tomorrow night, just so as you know, transit around Metro Vancouver will be free starting at 5 p.m. That means SkyTrain, bus, and bus trips won't cost you anything. According to TransLink, from 5 until closing, the fare gates at SkyTrain and bus stations will be open and you won't even have to tap a compass card. But if you started your trip before 5, make sure you tap out anyway just so you will be charged the right fare. And since New Year's Eve is a Sunday, the transit system will be running uh, an altered Sunday schedule. So that means a bunch of extra buses and services. So have fun and stay safe no matter what you're up to. Uh, But people have been celebrating the new year for a long time. The first New Year celebration dates back around 4,000 years. Uh, Julius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, was the first to declare January 1st a national holiday. He named the month after Janus, the Roman god of doors and gates. Uh, Janus had two faces, one looking forward and one looking back. Caesar felt that a month named after this god would be kind of fitting. Some New Year's customs around the world. Many people ring in New Year's by popping open a bottle of champagne. North Americans drink close to 400 million glasses of sparkling wine over the New Year's holiday. The bubbly stuff dates back to the 17th century, around the time that the cork was invented, which makes sense because how can you have sparkling wine without a cork. Uh, The Times Square New Year's Eve ball drop in New York, that's the biggest public celebration in North America. It came about because of a ban on fireworks. The first ball in 1907 was 700 pounds and was lit with 125 watt lights. So I guess that was pretty fancy in 1907, but the current ball kind of puts that old one to to shame. Today, It is covered in uh, almost 3,000 crystals, is lit by more than 32,000 LED lights, and weighs almost 12,000 pounds and is 12 feet in diameter. And if Santa is the most common symbol associated with Christmas, then Baby New Year is the symbol most commonly associated with New Year's. Baby New Year is often seen in a diaper, a black top hat, and a sash showing the numbers of the new year. And the myth is that he matures into an old man as the year goes on. And uh, do you make sure you are surrounded by family or loved ones as the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve? It's believed by many that the first person you come across in the new year is said to set the tone 
for the next 12 months. And this applies to couples. If a couple celebrating New Year's together does not kiss, the future of that relationship might be rocky in the coming New Year. So hopefully you lay a big one on your significant other at midnight. Whatever you do, have a great time tomorrow night. Happy New Year to you. I'm Martin Strong, and Vancouver Consumer is here every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Thanks to our producer, Leo Coelho. The news on CKNW is next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.